0: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Adesanya ascends
1: to the top of the middleweight mountain. Dan Hooker gets a statement win over Ally Akinta. Joanna and Watterson look to determine perhaps the next strawweight title challenger. Cain Velasquez shifts his attention to pro wrestling. And we are joined by Tim Elliott, who competes this weekend against Davison at Figueredo at UFC Fight Night in Tampa. Thanks to those listening to the podcast or on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. You can subscribe to the podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, and please do leave positive feedback on iTunes if every comment does help. I do have a special guest co-host today uh, as Joe is heading to Germany to call this weekend's glory event. And that is Nick Baldwin of BloodyElbow.com uh, and a couple other uh, outlets, if I'm not mistaken. Severe MMA, is that Severe
0: right? MMA for UFC cards, mostly just Bloody Elbow. Cool. Well, thank you for joining
1: me. Uh, Nick wanted to come down and check out TSN. And I thought, you know, while you're here, we've got an MMA uh, reporter or writer that's uh, in the house. So let's uh, let's talk UFC 234 because you know Israel Adesanya just did everything right this past week and uh, it all culminated in a fantastic main event between him and Whitaker that ultimately ended with him becoming the now undisputed middleweight champion of the world. I mentioned after the fight that I thought that this might be the first time since Conor McGregor we've seen such a, a meteoric rise to superstardom. Uh, such as this. And, you know, a lot of people commented and said, oh, well, the numbers aren't there, and it's not not a good comparison. I'm not making a comparison to Conor. What I'm saying is that since Conor, I don't think we've seen somebody that that rises to the top in such a fashion like this. A guy who's as charismatic outside the cage as he is inside the cage, as creative outside the cage as he is inside the cage. He just seems like a real anomaly that we haven't seen in the UFC really since Conor McGregor. And uh, I thought that that was worth noting.
0: But um, what did you think of this past weekend? What did you think of the fight in particular? I thought the performance. I I, I still can't get over how good it was. Um, it, it, there are very few picture-perfect per- performances in mixed martial arts just because there's so many ways to win, so many ways to lose. I mean, your opponent usually has some success. And sure, Whitaker did well. I mean, in the first round, he landed some shots. I know I, I believe Adasanya said after the fight he caught his lip a little bit. Didn't really hurt him, but overall... That 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 was a perfect performance from Israel Adesanya. That was, I mean, you couldn't really get any better. The striking was flawless. The, I mean, obviously he didn't go to the ground, which is always a good thing when when you're Israel Adesanya. Um, he 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 was just dictating the fight and nearly knocked him out at the the end of the very first round. Obviously, he did knock him out in the second. And yeah, new champion. I I I can't get over how good that was. Yeah, to be honest, I thought Whitaker was about five seconds away from winning that round until
1: he got knocked down at the end of the round. I thought that what Whitaker did at first, um, by going after the legs and by uh, by you know pre- pressuring Adesanya, staying out of range, I thought he had a really good game plan until, of course, the, the game plan got flipped on his head when he got landed on his head at the end of the round. Um, that was the thing that surprised me the most. And you know, I I kind of I was sending some uh, some colleagues in the space. The messages uh, at the end of the fight saying that Whitaker really had a terrible game plan uh, in the second round. That he was just, you know, you, you can't go for the kill against someone like Israel Adesanya because he's all precision. You know, he's, he's not going to get into a brawl with you. He's going to pick his spots. He's going to find, um, y- you know, the best place to hit you. And he's going to, you know, for every one shot he takes, he's going to hit you with two. And if you're unprepared for that or you don't think that's going to work uh, and probably won't work against someone like Adesanya, you're going to lose. So... My big takeaway from this, my big question from this is how, you know, how into it was Whitaker in the second round, like, mentally? You know, after getting knocked down at the end of the first, if there were five seconds off, that fight stopped. He was he was basically done. Yeah. But, you know, the horn went. The referee, I think it was Mark Goddard, had the the wherewithal to step in there and not call the fight off because he, he knew that the round was done. He probably heard the clapping counted down 10 on his head um, because it was very loud in there. Adesanya wasn't sure if he had won the fight or if the round had ended, but... um, he also said after the fact that he had heard the clap and knew that there was the, the potential that the fight was going to continue. Um, so that was the thing about it is like, how much do we really see what Whitaker's game plan might have been beyond that you know point of peril at the end of the first round? That's the big question mark and takeaway I have for this. But if that was his game plan, he executed it poorly. It was the wrong game plan, and it fed right into the strengths of Israel Adesanya. Um, I will say that obviously Whitaker handled it very in a very classy manner, but I think for the UFC that uh, you know in terms of business for them, this is a great thing to happen for them because I think Israel Adesanya's star just continues to rise.
0: I think he, you you can already say he's a star. He he's certainly going up. I mean, it, obviously Conor McGregor should he be active in, in the near future, he's the biggest star in MMA history. But Israel Adesanya. I don't know if he ever gets to that level because I don't know if really anybody can get to the level of Conor, but he's right there. He he can be bigger than a Daniel Cormier. He can be maybe even bigger than a John Jones. Maybe Khabib also. Like he he has that, um, I just something about him that that sort of sparkle in his eye where people, whether you like him or you or you don't, I, I think you're drawn to him. And his fighting style can't be any more fun to watch. So I think I mean a plus for Israel Adesanya just the the performance, who he is. Um, I, I think he's a star, and I think he's a superstar in the making.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, and I don't know about recency bias. That you know how much that's playing into it, into this. Like, I think that calling him, you know, as big a star as Khabib one day might be. Again, you, it might be a little bit of a, of a stretch. I think obviously he has to win a little bit more, but he's sure. it's a very similar situation. He's undefeated, like Khabib was when he got to the championship. It took him a lot less time to get to the championship level. Um, I think that Khabib does have. You know, uh, more fans in a place that has more MMA fans, if that makes sense. Like he's got a bigger following as a result of where he's from, Um, and I think how dominant he is is obviously something that draws people. Uh, One thing that Ariel Helwani wrote today that I don't really agree with is he thinks that people, when they look back on on uh, Saturday night, you're going to remember where you were when Adesanya won the title. I think there is a bit of recency bias there. I think that you know one one of the fights that he listed that he didn't list that I think it would be higher up. this particular performance is holly holm beating ronda rousey i think it was in the same building but ronda rousey um i don't think anybody will forget that time she lost i think that everybody thought that she was so unstoppable at that point in time and the way that she lost and uh how she lost you know getting knocked out in that fashion i think is going to be etched into people's minds for you know the, the rest of the time they follow the sport but uh in terms of israel i don't know if this particular performance because it wasn't you know it was a very impressive performance of course but uh, I do think that, again, people are are critical of how Whitaker handled the fight in terms of his X's and O's. And I think that that might—I um, don't think people think lim- that he's a limited fighter like Ronda Rousey is. And you, when you look back, you can tell that Rousey's had her limitations.
0: I don't think Whitaker's one of those fighters. I think Whitaker's as good as anybody else in the middleweight division. Yeah, I mean, the thing is— it. Obviously, it was a big fight for the sport, a, a fan-favorite style fight. So we all were really looking forward to it. Unfortunately, the rest of the card, not so great. So it didn't have a big event feel to it, for me anyways. But it, it, a big fight didn't really have a big fight feel. Like it, it, It's not one of those where five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. I'm not going to remember it, and it's not going to stand out necessarily like some of those ones Helwani mentioned. I mean, obviously, again, big fight. It was a huge performance. But there have been bigger fights in the UFC. Yeah, I
1: agree with that. I don't think it had a big event feel at all. I know, obviously, it it being in a stadium, to the people there, it probably felt really big. But, you know, they don't really share buy rates anymore now that ESPN Plus is handling the pay-per-view. But I can't imagine that it performed that well in terms of pay-per-view. And that's one of the things that you kind of have to look at when you think of big moments in MMA. If you think of Mendez versus McGregor, if you think of Aldo versus McGregor, if you think of Rousey versus Holm, uh, Rousey versus Nunes, like these were big box office ticket fights, whereas... uh, I mean, when you say when I say box office, I mean all encompassing. I mean, live audience, people watching on TV, people watching the highlights. You know, there wasn't as much buzz for this particular fight as there would have been for one of those other ones that I mentioned
0: previously. And I think a lot of that also was the thing is you can't get a better fight, in my opinion, than Adesanya Whitaker. That is just that, that is agreed. That is MMA magic. But it didn't have a big event feel to it because. You had Ally Quinta versus Dan Hooker, and that was kind of it. Obviously, there's a lot of New Zealand fighters. There's a lot of Australian fighters. So as you said, it was it, it was a big event for that audience down under. But for, for the people wa- watching at home like you and I, it it was kind of two fights that were worthy of being on pay-per-view and a bunch of prelims, if I'm being totally honest. So I think that's unfortunate also just because Whitaker and you deserved a big event feel because of how good that fight was. just didn't get it.
1: I agree. Um... And I also said that this card is as close to a boxing card as the UFC's ever put on, where you have such a big-ticket main event, okay co-main event, and then the rest of the card you, you could take or leave. Uh, and that that can make or break if people are going to buy a pay-per-view. I know the main event is the most important, but if people are going to you know have a party, invite friends over, um, and say, you know, even if, if you're going to invite some friends over that are more casual fans of the sport... Like, you need to say, like, these next five fights are going to be amazing. Yeah. Otherwise, people won't come. Or, they, or they, you can't put the party together. And like, I think that that's a problem.
0: If this card had Holloway versus Volkanovski on it, like, 100%. originally targeted, mm-hmm. no one would be complaining. Yeah, I Two don't even know if it was originally fights. targeted.
1: I think they looked. They put the tickets on sale. They saw the ticket sales were trending towards breaking that attendance record. And they thought, yeah, we can rest on our laurels here. And that's fair. I mean, this is a business, right? Like, at the end of the day, you know, people can complain about it. But from a promotional standpoint, nobody knows their business better than the UFC. So if they feel like they don't need to add a second title shot to this, I had asked Dana White when both of those fights were announced—the um, Whitaker Adesanya fight and the Hooker Ayakinta fight—I I said, "Are you looking to to put a big main uh, co-main event on this card?" And He said, "Yeah, we're looking. We're still looking to add something big." It just never happened.
0: I think the I think they wanted Holloway Volkanovski. I don't think it was a matter of okay, th- this is good enough. Let's let's save it for a different card. I don't think Holloway wanted to make a quick turnaround from the July fight with Edgar. I don't think he could have. I mean, I don't know if he was really hurt, but. I mean, he he wanted time off. He's a champ. He, he can sort of make that make that call. Um, so I think they would have added it to the card if they could, but Max just wasn't ready.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that if they said to him, okay, we'll pay you a little bit more money to do this, he, he can get ready in a hurry. But um, I agree with that. Cutting weight is hard for him. Um, he's one of those fighters that's kind of a tweener. Like, he's he's a smaller lightweight but a really big featherweight. Yeah. It's, you know, weird to see. Whereas I think a lot of the different featherweights that do have trouble cutting weight could... could have the body of a 55er because they're smaller and stockier. Like oh, yeah. Brian Ortega, for example, I think could be interchangeable between both if he wanted to. Yeah. But I think because Holloway's so tall and so slender that his build isn't
0: exactly conducive to that of a, uh, of a dominant lightweight. And I, unfortunately for him, I don't think we'll see a 150-pound weight class anytime soon. No,
1: definitely, <laughs> definitely. And that, that's one thing that's just never been discussed. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that um, Adesanya now, the sky's the limit with him. I think the Paulo Costa fight's a big fight. Um, I think that Paulo Costa as another undefeated. How many? How often do you see undefeated versus undefeated at the championship level?
0: This is the second time. According to MMA junkies Mike Bond, the first was, I believe, Machida and Rashad Evans way back in a long time ago. <laughs> well, there you
1: go. You have the answer for me. I, th- I would have thought it would be more frequent than that. But...
0: I think there may be a couple women's fights also, but men's title fights, this is the second.
1: I guess Joanna Esparza, I think, had lost before Joanna and Esparza had fought. But yeah, I mean, Nunes had a, a share of losses early on in her career, and she's been the champion for a long time. Uh, Rousey, maybe. I don't think like I mean Tate was obviously had a loss Rousey to and Rousey, Holm, right? Rousey and Holm would have been undefeated yep. versus
0: undefeated, right? That's a good, that's a good call.
1: Yeah. Okay. So it's not not just that. I guess maybe in men's MMA,
0: men's MMA second one. So. Wow. Second one. Super ever. rare. Wow. That's yep. incredible.
1: That's a great stat. Mike Bond is full of great stats. I don't know how he does I it. I love a great stat. As you know, I tweet them out as uh, as often as I can as well. But, uh, yeah, he keeps, like, a whole dossier of fantastic uh, knowledge that I would love to one day put together myself if I ever had the time.
0: But, yeah. yeah, probably at home, big whiteboard. I don't know how he does it, though. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's uh, pretty sharp. But, yeah, that's the first time. Wow, that's unbelievable. First time we've seen that since Evans versus Machida. That's a long, long time ago. Yep. Both still active somehow. But, somehow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um but that's uh yeah that's very interesting and that's going to be a fun one because I think that Paulo Costa um is you know I I think that Adesanya is probably a bad matchup for Costa
0: though. Would you agree with that? I I think so. Um I I mean obviously too early to really tell but early pick would be Israel all day. Um I just look I mean he's longer, he's sharper on the feet. Paulo Costa has the power. He can knock out anybody. He can catch Paulo Costa or Israel Adesanya. He's been tagged before Kelvin Gastelum in in April. Um, but that's what he needs to do to win. I, I don't think he can outpoint Adasanya on the ground. I mean, I, I don't think that fight goes to the ground. Maybe he could just sort of strength his way, you know, strongman his way into a grappling match ah, with with Israel. I don't really know. Um, but as far as on the feet, Israel would outpoint him. Costa would have to finish him. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, and then when
1: you look at uh, that particular matchup, um, I think that Costa, uh, from a technique standpoint. Because he's kind of sloppy, I think that Adesanya is going to look to take advantage. Uh, Adesanya was asked after the the event about which middleweights have impressed him, and he said Jared Cannonier was the name. I think Jared Cannonier has impressed everybody. I don't think anybody uh, thought yeah. that he could really get to this upper echelon of the division so quickly.
0: Well, it, it's pretty crazy because he two two losses in a row at two hundred five. Granted, they, they were to the top competition, Dominic Reyes and Lon, Jan Blujovic, now two of the top five light heavyweights in the UFC. But after that, we weren't really sure what was next for him. I mean. He he would always be in that sort of area, barely cracking into the top fifteen, but he, he dropped yet another weight class and three 0 at middleweight, Jack Hermanson just, just last week, two weeks ago. Um yeah, he, he has looked really, really phenomenal. And at at this point, I'm not here to say that no Jared Cannonier can't for a title fight for a title or or he can't even win the title because I didn't think he'd get here, so who knows what what you know, where how far further he can go.
1: How interested are you for it? Give me a number from one to ten in John Jones versus Adesanya as a fight.
0: I I really like the fight, like eight or nine. Okay, yeah. I'm at like a three. Okay, you don't like the fight? <laughs> no,
1: I don't like it from a business standpoint, and I'll explain why. I've stood next to both these guys, and John Jones is considerably bigger. Like John Jones should probably be fighting at heavyweight; he'd be a kind of a smaller heavyweight, yeah. but he's a big guy. Whereas I don't even think Adesanya walks around at 205. Um, well,
0: he weighed in at like 183. Yeah, I 184. Think? That it was the official weight, but he said okay. he
1: was 183.6 that morning. Yeah. Like he's not a very big middleweight, and if you're going to build a guy up, 28 years old, I understand that the best way to build him up into a superstar is to have him beat John Jones, face John Jones, beat John Jones. But what happens if he loses? Like if he loses to John Jones, and I imagine that the line on a John Jones out of I would probably be somewhere along the lines of minus 350 for Jones. If I had to guess, I mean, sure. I don't know if you agree, if you think it's that lopsided or not. But you know, I understand that his striking against Jones would be an interesting thing to see. But if Jones takes him down, it's over. Like, it's pretty much over. Yeah. John will be so much bigger than him, and he has the wrestling acumen to do that so easily. Um, so that's that's why I'd be a little bit scared to book that if I was the UFC. Like, I think if you're going to build this guy's star, wait until 2022,
0: 2023 when Jones is a little bit older and see if he can get it done then. Honestly, I, I mean, I, I did say 8 or 9. I'm excited for it, but I, I don't think it'll happen if, if I have to say um, just because— Adesanya has just won the midway title. Yeah. I think he'll want to defend that once or twice. He, he strikes me as the type of guy who, although he wants multiple belts like a lot of other champions right now, he is also going after n- not a record uh, of title defenses, but he, he wants to sort of clean out the division a little bit. Um John Jones, I think, by the time Israel's ready to move up to five, if that ever happens, he'll be at heavyweight already. I mean, these guys are just in different parts of their career. I don't know if they'll ever line up. I I would like to see it, um, but as you said, Jones is way bigger, and uh, as I think about it, it might kind of look like Gegard Mousasi versus Roy McDonald, right. where going into it, we're so excited because it's champ versus champ, and we think it can be competitive, then all of a sudden, Musashi is just so much bigger and dominates him, so that could be what it kind of turns out to be. On paper, I like it a lot. I think Israel could give him some problems on the feet, but I think the size advantage would would really come into come into play.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that fight, and that was a fifteen pound gap. This is a twenty pound gap. Yeah, so we're talking an even bigger gap. Um, again, as a striker, I think that if it's on the feet. Israel can hang with anybody in the UFC, and Israel's also been—I think you mentioned Stipe Miocic is a possible future <laughs> opponent. I don't, I don't know how much of that is just posturing, but um, I would like to see him fight more middleweights. I think we'd like to see him fight Yoel Romero down the line, if Romero can stay relevant. A lot of the older guys have left the division, like a Jacare, like a Weidman, Rockhold. Those guys have all gone up to 205, so now we've got kind of a new crop of 185ers that are coming together that I think— it would be interesting to see what they can do against a guy like Adesanya, Now that a lot of the gatekeepers have kind of left.
0: Well, and as you said, Arasanya a—he's not a big middleweight. So, it, it might, this might not just be a case of maybe he doesn't fight John Jones. Maybe he just never moves up to two hundred five. Right. Like, it just might not necessary be necessary, or might. If not he moved work. up to two hundred five, I think it would just be a one-off. Like, I think he'd fight Jones one yeah. time, and then that's it. Anything can happen. He's thirty. He's young in his career. I mean, we never really thought Jacory would move up or Luke Rockhold would move up at one point. Early in their career, so who knows? Maybe he puts on some, also like like John Jones has in the past. He could fight a two or five. I, I'm sure he'd do well. But as I think about it, yeah, John Jones, that that might be one sided. Yeah, so that's why my my enthusiasm for that fight is
1: kind of tempered. I know a lot of people are eager to see that fight. They think it would be good, but I just don't know how, what kind of impact it would have on the sport if that happened and and it was as lopsided as I think it would be. I mean, Israel's good at proving people wrong. He's done so yeah. since coming to the UFC. But that might be a little bit too big of a mountain to climb.
0: If if you could somehow increase Israel's size to, to Jon Jones, if they're the same size, that'd, that'd be a heck of a fight. I would love that fight. But unfortunately, this world doesn't work like that.
1: I want to see how Dan Hooker does going forward. The kind of, I think there are a lot of really good matchups for him at 155 to kind of get over that hump. I th- I, this was obviously the first step to getting over that. Yeah. He's beating a guy like Al Ayakinta, but he's got the frame for 155 that's going to be tricky for people. He's taller. He's faster. He's still very young. He's still like, in his late, mid to late 20s. If I think he's 27 or 28. So there's still a
0: lot of room for growth for Dan Hooker, and I thought his performance against uh, Al was very impressive. I, I, I was really impressed with Dan Hooker. I, I picked him, but in my mind, I, I just kept seeing Iaquinta being that super gritty and super tough guy. Kind of like the guy we saw in the Kevin Lee fight, the Donald Cerrone fight, even though he fell short. Even and in this
1: fight to an extent. I mean, he, yeah. was, he was battling back. He was,
0: he was bloodied up, uh, but he wasn't you know, backing down. And I, I, I kind of thought he, he would be able to chop up Hooker, but he, he did not. Dan Hooker came forward. He was sharp on the feet. He was quicker. He was just more active. He looked really good in this fight. And Galdo Dustin Poirier, I like that fight a lot. I know a lot of other people said Paul Felder. Paul Felder, one, actually makes... Makes a lot of sense, just because they're they're both in very similar spots. There, Paul Felder just beat Edson Barboza, a big win. Yeah. Who's um, beaten Hooker? Who's beaten Hooker just recently too? Yeah. Um, and, and then of course you have Hooker just beat Quinta. So they both Quinta and Felder have gotten, Felder and Hooker have both gone over that hump, and uh, now they're borderline borderline top five, certainly top ten lightweights. And uh, I, I think the winner of that could move forward to to really you know be in a title eliminator. Per- Eliminator, perhaps. Yeah, there
1: are kind of two tiers of this division. You've got yeah. you've got Khabib, Tony, Gaethje, Conor McGregor as kind of that top tier, and, and even then, Poirier. Yeah, and Poirier has got to be another two. That's right. I don't want to forget him. You, you tend to forget people after they've <laughs> lost a fight for whatever reason. Um, and then you get that kind of next tier. You got Felder, you got Cerrone, you've got yeah. uh, Hooker. Um, you've even Barboza. I think is still kind of you know in that mix because I thought that I actually thought that Barboza beat Felder in that fight, and I think a lot of other people did as well. Um, so that tier is kind of a, a good tier as well, and Kevin Lee is going to try to get back into that tier if he can beat Edgar Gillespie, and vice versa. If, yeah. if Gillespie beats Kevin Lee, you've got to consider him
0: to be somebody who's close to that second tier. I agree. Um, I Yeah, this is why lightweight is so good because they're just—when when guys like Paul Felder and Edson Barboza and Iaquinta are part of that second tier, those are like the second or third best lightweights in the UFC, that means this division is stacked. Joanna versus Watterson,
1: main event uh this weekend in Tampa. Now, I'm going to say this with the caveat that Tatiana Suarez is still not really gone back to full training. She's still nursing a neck neck injury. If when they want to book Zhang Li, Suarez is still not ready. Do you think that the winner of this fight is a shoe in to get to the next shot at the
0: title? I would think so because it's really as you said it's really only the winner of this or Tatiana Suarez. So, if Suarez is still not training and she's injured and and honestly, I don't I I don't feel like Suarez is ready. I, I know the fight with Anzerov was a Ooh, clear... I, I very much disagree. You disagree? Yes. I, I know the, the fight with Nina Anzerov earlier this year was a clear-cut title emulator. I, I was saying that I, I was on board after seeing that third round and her not putting on the best performance. I, I'm i okay with her having one more fight before getting to that title shot. She's still young. I, I still think she's a future champion. I just don't know if she's quite ready. One more fight, then, then title shot for sure. Meanwhile, you have Yoni M.J. who Obviously, former champion, super experienced. Michelle Watterson's been in that running for a long time. I, I mean, I they, they've been wanting to market the uh, Watterson for a long time. This is finally their opportunity if she beats Joanna, Fortunately for her, it's a really tough test. Um, and Joanna fighting Whaley Zhang or Weili Zhang versus Michelle Watterson. Both are big fights. Um, if that you both it, of them have turned down in the past, which is yeah. the kind of ironic thing about it. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that they didn't feel like Wei Li Zhang was a big fight, and now she's a champion, yeah, and, and now, now they fight. now yeah. that's <laughs> who they're chasing. So I, I think if you put that in Poland or China or or or, or really anywhere, I, I think both of those are big fights. I think the winner of th- this fight on on Saturday fights Wei Li Zhang.
1: I, I would love to see Joanna versus Wei Li. I think yeah. there's no better way to build up Wei Li than to have her to beat someone like Ioana. And I think there's no better way to get Ioana back on top than to have her obviously challenged for the title. And I think Ioana is still a problem. Uh, You know, people, I think, have forgotten about Ioana. But when you look at who she's lost to, it was Rose that first time got knocked out, bad knockout. Second time, uh, it's a much closer fight, but still lost the decision. And I think most people thought that that Rose did win that fight, Uh, a win over Tisha Torres. And then uh, a loss to Valentina Shevchenko, which I mean, you can't really fault her. She's moving up a division against somebody who I think is going to dominate that division for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people can look at that resume and say, oh, she's one in three in her last four. But you got to look beyond the resume. You got to look at what she did to Jessica Andrade. who was very recently the champion. You got to look at what she's done to all the others that she's fought before. Then, like th- these were dominations. So if Joanna's able to get back into that headspace, and I think taking a year off, almost a year off, is was very good for her. Um, I'm I'm very eager to see what she's able to do here against Waters, and I, I have a feeling she's going to be able to show that same dominance that she had shown in the past in this particular matchup.
0: And we see in the strawweight division, particularly uh, styles make fights. MMA math doesn't work. I mean, you had Ioana beat Andrade, who beat Nami, Nami Yunus, who beat Ioana. I mean, yeah. who knows what can happen? I, Ioana MJ Some matchups. She, I mean, she might lose to Rose, but she she could very easily beat Andrade if they ever fought again. Um, I am by no—like, I, I would not count Yuan out against Weili Zhang whatsoever. I, I would maybe even favor her. Like, I, I think there's a real chance, depending on who she's fighting, she's the best strawweight in the world still. Maybe she has moved on. Maybe she is—you know, her, her best days are behind her. Maybe Weili Zhang is the new breed of strawweights. Um, I, I could be totally wrong on this, but I, I think Yuan would have a shot in that fight. Um, I don't think—I I think the UFC really likes having Weili Zhang as a champion, obviously opening up that market in China. If Ioana dethroned her, I don't think that would really be an issue. I think Ioana did pretty well as champion during her reign. I think people like her. She's the best champion I think ever in um, that division. Sure, and of I don't weight. think it's close. Definitely at straw weight. Um, and and yeah, so I, I think the winner fights fights uh, fights Wei Li Zhang. And as I said, I, I like both of them. And maybe even maybe they beat Wei Li Zhang. Who knows?
1: Yeah, one forgotten name is Rose. I mean, Rose lost to Andraj uh, in, you know, with that pretty nasty slam. Yeah. It seems like she wants to continue to take some time off, but uh, would you not put her ahead of Ioanna? Like, if Ioana won and Rose says, I want to come back, you almost have to look at Rose Namajunas and say, well, she lost that one time, but before that she's beaten Ioanna twice, she's a former champion. I mean, I don't know if that, if that would be considered jumping the
0: queue. Do you agree? Well, I can't really give a title shot to someone coming off a loss. I know it is Rose, former champion, lost to former champion Jessica Andraj, but... If you have, I mean, even though Rose did beat Joanna, Joanna coming off win versus Rose coming off loss, I give the title shot to Joanna. I think Rose needs. I mean, she she only held the title for a couple of years. I think she needs to. And and did she ever? She defended it once, so she wasn't a long reigning champion. She wasn't a dominant champion. She should fight once more before getting a title shot.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that probably. I mean, I think that if you're gonna hold off Suarez, maybe do Rose versus Suarez. That's a big. Fight. I like that. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Uh Kane Velasquez, I don't know how big of a wrestling fan you are. He shows up at the WWE Friday Night Smackdown and is uh starting a program with Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Do you have any interest in watching
0: this? Um just because it's Kane Velasquez maybe, but I am not a pro wrestling fan. I didn't see this. I saw the highlight on Twitter. Um wrote a story about it, but uh yeah, it, what I, did you write? Just that what Kane the, Okay. Well, Kane like Velasquez exiting okay. the Utah pool and you now confronting Brock Lesnar on in WWE, um, it, it is it is a big deal. I mean, I, I don't. Are you a pro wrestling fan? Not really. No, no. I, I haven't been for about twenty years. So probably not the best people to be talking about this. But Cain Velasquez making his WWE debut is a big deal. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure of that. I, I think pro wrestling fans and MMA fans are are really excited about this. I think um, I, I didn't actually see Cain's first couple matches in pro wrestling down in Mexico, then in New York City recently. But apparently, he did really well. Um so yeah, I, I think came to WWE was kind of always the move to make and how, what better person to sort of go up against than his former rival in Brock Lesnar?
1: There really haven't been any MMA athletes that have gone to pro wrestling that have done poorly. I mean it seems no? like it's a bit like I look at Matt Riddle, he's looking looking to be a, a big big time prospect in, in pro wrestling. Ronda obviously looks fan, fantastic as sure. a pro wrestler. Um Tank Abbott was a champion in WCW, if you want to go back then. And then uh, Ken Shamrock, also a, yeah. an intercontinental champion, I believe, in the WWE. These they have Because they have a background in fighting, like re- real, actual fighting, yeah. I think with their athleticism and their poise and their training acumen, that it's a good fit. And I think a lot of fighters um, that maybe are starting to sour on being in mixed martial arts and want to move over to pro wrestling, that a lot of these... Stories are going to pave the way for them.
0: I think Kane was a little bit of a surprise just because of how beaten up his body is. I like in that first match down in in Mexico City, he did some things. I I mean I don't I'm not going to try and describe it. I don't know exactly. A hurricane wh- Rana, is that what he did? Maybe what,
1: what he I, put his legs legs around the guy's head and flipped him over. That's called it. Sure, hurricane. I know he did it in one of the matches. Okay,
0: and and I think it was almost like a surprise. Like Kane can do that. Like I I didn't think. His body would even let him just, I mean, that's not a knock on Kane Velasquez, but he's been injured a lot, you know, a lot of wear and tear just throughout his MMA career. So I, I think Kane was a, a bit of a surprise, and especially with his with his training partner and friend, Daniel Cormier, being such a big fan, whoever would have expected, like, if one of them was to get into pro wrestling, it'd be DC. And, and so who would have ever expected? I mean, I talked to Kane about this. Like, he's surprised that he's made it into pro wrestling before DC did. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, Ronda was always a big fan, so... Having her enter the WWE seemed to make a lot of sense. But I guess, yeah, I had never heard Kane have an, a, a real interest in wrestling, but he seems to be a natural at it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, I, I, th- I mean, the only thing that'll ever get me to watch a pro wrestling match is if he tag teams with DC. I, I think that'd You'd be You'd watch great. that? I would. I would. Only pro wrestling match I'd ever watch. I don't think I'd
1: watch <laughs> it. I'd watch highlights. <laughs> sure. I don't think I'd watch it, though. <laughs> um, anything else we should talk about? I mean, I, I think that uh, this is a good way to kind of put a bow on... Uh, what we saw this past weekend, and I wish there was more to talk about because outside of, like you said, that main and co-main event, this card was pretty light. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's talk about Diego Lima and him appealing his win. (laughs) Uh, Alex Davis is uh, the manager of Diego Lima, and he's been very outspoken about a lot of things lately in terms of judging, refereeing, uh, things of that nature. And they are appealing Diego Lima's split decision win to turn it into a unanimous decision win. Do you think this makes any sense
0: whatsoever? No, but, I mean... I'm not going to argue it. Like if if you want a UD uh, win on your record and you don't want a split decision, and and to be honest, it should have been a unanimous. 100 so percent. If you, if for some reason you feel like that benefits your career, then go for it. Yeah. But it's not going to like this. It's not getting overturned. No, there's no chance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Josh Gross uh, wrote, "How could a judge have seen two rounds for Luke Jumo? And I said, "Well, the first round was pretty close. Um, you know, if 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 you look at the accuracy and the striking output." um Jumo had the same amount of strikes landed but far less attempted so maybe if you if you look at accuracy maybe you'd give it to him there and then in the second round he tagged Lima with a really good shot towards the end of the round right. so maybe if you believe that was worth uh I don't even think those were the rounds that the, this judge gave him if I'm not mistaken um but you know if you look at that then maybe you could make an argument and then um but then I also said at the end I also think that would be an idiotic argument to make, and uh, I don't stand by it at all. I thought that Lima <laughs> won all three rounds. Uh, so, you know, I, I de- definitely had to put that in there as, uh, sure. so that people don't think that I'm, uh, you know, blind.
0: Sure. But, well, uh, and that's the know. thing. It's like a judge but, can choose how they judge a fight. That's why they're there. Yeah. And even if the judging, even if the result was really, like, even if Luke Jumeau won the fight by a split decision, it wouldn't get overturned. I, I agree with you. I, there's 100%. no way. Um, he could have won a unanimous decision 3027 across the board and it still wouldn't be overturned. Something really bad has to happen or something really obvious has to happen for, th- for the commission to even consider overturning When was results. the last
1: time we saw a decision get overturned that went to scorecards that wasn't like a clerical error? Like, I can't think of one a long the time top ago. of my head. If ever. I, yeah. like,
0: before my time, so I'm sure it's We've seen, like, once, but... I
1: remember with Drew Dober and uh, Leandro Silva, yeah. where he was choked and didn't tap, and then, like, the ref stopped, and he stood up and was like, well, why would you stop yeah. that? Yeah. That can get overturned because it's an error on the officials' part. But in terms of a judging error, I, I can't think of a single time where we've seen –
0: Commissions always give judges the benefit of the doubt, as they should. Like they're, they are professional judges. They're due to do. They're there to do their job. And yeah, I mean, they're no, nobody's perfect, and we've seen worse decisions. Luke Jumeau won that fight. There's been worse. There's been way worse. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if he wants a UD fine, but what? I mean, he's still got the win. So,
1: I, So let me talk about a couple things off this card that stand out when I when I really think back on it. Uh, first off, um, recent guest of the show, Jorgen Castro, fantastic walk-off, knockout. One of the best walk-offs I've ever seen. It seemed like his opponent hadn't even hit the ground when he started walking away. Yeah.
0: He just knew it was done. That was um, a really, yeah, it was a good knockout, good performance. Um, I, I think it actually went into the fight a slight underdog, so um, coming off contender he looked looked good. I mean, it, it, you know, lower level heavyweight fight, no idea where, where he goes, what his potential is, but great highlight. And the other thing
1: that stood out to me was Megan Anderson getting a win because I watched her get the win, and it looked pretty good, and I thought, where do we go from here with this division? There's just nothing to do. Nothing going on. You know, Nunez is the champion. Would you give Megan Anderson the next shot? I actually think Felicia Spencer deserves the next shot over Megan Anderson. Felicia beat Megan Anderson, looked good against Cyborg. Even though she is coming off a loss, I'd almost prefer to see her get the next featherweight
0: shot. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the whole Rose thing, getting a title. Like, it's tough to give a title shot to someone coming off loss for me. But I agree. Like Spencer is higher up in the rankings than Anderson because she beat. There her. are no rankings. Sure. <laughs> there I mean, are in no the rankings. Imaginary five-person <laughs> yes. rankings. Yes. Um, is it five? I I don't know. It, <laughs> I don't think so. Five or less probably. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you do Spencer uh, Anderson too. Like uh, that was a fight where people thought Anderson would win. Spencer upsets her. Yeah,
1: I, I I'd be all for that. Make that There's a title There's no of one elevator. else really. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, just rematch them.
0: And then the winner fights Nunes, I guess.
1: Yeah. Before that, what a, I mean, what a
0: great division this is. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, this Farrah uh, Zenz Dos Santos is a legit featherweight, at least. It was yeah. like see them sign a legit featherweight to take on Megan Anderson. They were about the same size. Megan's really tall. I think you've seen Megan in person before. No, no. she's really big. Yeah. Like, she's she must cut a lot of weight to get to 145. She's probably like almost a legit six foot, like big frame.
0: Yeah, I think six one. I remember seeing yeah. on the table. She's, she's tape.
1: quite tall. So, um, you know, these. It's it's good to see them signing Featherways, but they need to sign more and actually have a division here if they actually want to legitimize Nunez as a two division champion. Because to me, obviously a win over Cyborg legitimizes her as a champion, but as a defending champion taking on a, a field of three people,
0: Meh. You think they keep the division around much, like indefinitely? Like I know a lot of people said last year, like if Cyborg goes, they'll close it. Like I was one of those people. Yeah,
1: because I just don't like that was always the Cyborg division. And if Nunez, I think that one of the reasons they want to keep it around is because the bantamweight division is also shallow. Like who from the bantamweight division? You know, I I can think of obviously Duran is getting the next shot, but Caitlin um, Vieira Vieira hasn't. Is it Caitlin? Caitlin, Caitlin Vieira. Caitlin yeah. Vieira. Caitlin yeah. Vieira. Um, she hasn't fought in like almost two years. Yeah, I don't. And,
0: I, I don't even know why. Like, w- injured, I, I guess. Yeah. But
1: yeah, she's been injured. So okay, like. I think that's probably the reason why they want to keep this featherweight belt around, is because there's just not a whole lot of challengers for Amanda Nunes, period.
0: Yeah. I think they
1: probably wanted to put Aspen Ladd over durand May, but that obviously just didn't go that way.
0: Yeah, you can't really give a title shot to someone who, off a, off a loss like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's unfortunate because, like, it makes sense to keep the division around, I guess. And honestly, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, they should close, because then... The, out to the division, because then that, you know, loses jobs from Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer. So if they want to keep a six-person division around, it it has no impact on... You keep on... adding
1: more people to this division, Nick. Yeah, you you keep... <laughs> you... No, I'm saying you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, six, now six. Uh, seven. <laughs> I um, think it's probably four. <laughs> probably four or five, yeah.
1: Because yeah. um, Leah Letson, I know, is now back at 135. on fights at 135. on looked like she could have been the next contender, and then she lost to Lena Landsberg two yeah. ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, they... It, Again, if they keep around the featherweight division, I, I'm I'm okay with it because Megan Anderson, whether I mean whether she's fighting at 45 or like having her fight at 45 over the weekend, had, like that wasn't a negative. So there's no reason to get rid of the division, really. But it, yeah, it, it it's a five person division. What what can I say? Absolutely. Um, this week, as mentioned, UFC Fight Night
1: in Tampa. Um, After this, do you want to make a pick with me? Sure. Okay, you're going to sub in for Joe. It's not going to affect Joe's record. And Joe (laughs) and I are both coming off a win this past week, so you know, pat on the back for us. Finally, I broke my my losing streak. (laughs) But Joe had uh, Israel Adesanya. I had uh, Brad Riddle uh, parlayed with Jake Matthews, so smooth sailing for both of us. Um, But uh, before we get to that, we're joined by Tim Elliott, who's facing Davis and Figueredo this weekend at UFC Fight Night in Tampa. A really, really good card on paper. I think there are a lot of really good matchups here. Uh, and uh, he joins us now on the TSN MMA show.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm
1: now joined by Tim Elliott, who faces Davis and Figueredo in his return to flyweight this weekend in Tampa, Florida. So, Tim, uh, how happy are you to be back down at the uh, flyweight? It looks like this division's got a, a little bit of a fresh breath, breath of air.
2: Uh, you know I, I wouldn't say i'm ecstatic about being back down at flyway i 'm happy to be able to fight again um i'm I'm really excited that the division is sticking around and uh you know i'm happy to be a part of of that of a part of uh, the division staying around so uh, you know i'm excited about that and i'm excited to get back in and fight again
1: you've been uh, on the shelf for about two years you said you're excited to be back in there what's prevented you from fighting?
2: Uh, I tore every ligament in my in my knee uh, ACL, LCL, MCL, PCL, and meniscus. So uh, I had a complete knee reconstruction, and uh, actually, it's, it's probably been a long time coming. I think it's been slowing me down for a while. So you know, I got a totally brand new knee now.
1: How'd that happen? Did that happen in training?
2: Uh, I was grappling at a, a Naga grappling tournament, actually.
1: And the whole thing just popped.
2: Yeah, I took a kid down and he locked me down. It, it really, it didn't take anything. It, it came out super easy, so uh, I think I think there was some damage already done, and I think it just was on its last uh, last limb there. So uh, it's all fixed up now, though, and I'm I'm cleared and feeling good. How
1: feel? does it feel? Does it feel like you're you've got like basically a new leg? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, more than anything, uh, just taking that time off. This was, was the first time I've ever taken any real time off. Um, I've, my leg is feeling recovered, and I think the rest of my body needed needed a little bit of a break. So, uh, yeah, I feel like my knee is 100% recovered. But more than that, it's like the rest of my body is finally, like, you know, feeling good and, and not beat up and not dragged down. So, like, I, I finally feel, like, spring-loaded and ready to go.
1: You mentioned you weren't particularly excited about going back to flyweight. Is that because of the weight cut?
2: Uh, not necessarily the weight cut. I'm, I'm just – it doesn't matter what weight. I'm just excited to be back and fighting. Um, but I'm really excited that the division is sticking around.
1: You had a very competitive fight with Demetrius Johnson, who uh, no longer is with the UFC. But when you saw the fight oh. with Henry Cejudo and, and him losing in that fashion, um, you know, over the course of five full rounds, were you surprised by that outcome?
2: Um, a little bit. I, I thought that uh, you know, usually when the champ has the blow, you have to you have to do quite a bit to to earn it back as far as the decision goes. But you know, I'm not a judge. I don't want to try to pretend like I know how they figure out the scoring, but um, it, it helped the division. It, I don't, whether I thought he won or not, it doesn't really matter. It's Cejudo winning the belt and then knocking out T.J. Dillashaw and then, and then going up and winning the Bantamweight belt, all that is good for flyweights.
1: Do you think that uh, Joseph Benavides, the man who took you first overall in uh, the Ultimate Fighter, should, uh, should get the next shot at flyweight? Uh, that should I, be the next defense?
2: Should. I think he should. I, I think no questions asked. Um, he already has a win over Cejudo, um, but I don't see Henry Cejudo coming back down to flyweight. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. He's talking about, you know, fighting girls and fighting at 45. So uh, I highly doubt he's going to come back down and fight at 25. There's not as much money there. So I don't know what's going to happen with the division. But if you're talking about who should get the next title fight, it has to be Joe B.
1: Have you heard any rumblings of any sort of tournament that might be happening at Flyweight? I've heard similar things to what you're saying, that that Henry might not move back down. That would put the division in limbo. Have you heard anything along those lines?
2: So I heard there was going to be a tournament and that that's why they started re-signing some guys. Um, and then I saw that some of the guys that they were re-signing were getting fights. So then that made me think that the tournament wasn't going to happen. So that's why I called Cigarette out right away. I called him out Cigarito, I could beat him and then jump my number up quite a bit and maybe, you know, group that next in line. But I heard there was talks of a tournament, but then the guys they started signing for the tournament started getting fights. So I'm not sure what's going to happen now.
1: How do you think of Figueredo as a matchup? I mean, this guy's a berserker. He likes to come forward. Um, Striking is obviously his bread and butter. Uh, Whereas, you know, you're a great striker as well as a great grappler. But are you looking to to take this fight to the ground? Is that what you think your best, um, at least the safest way to victory is?
2: Um, No, I mean, I love fighting big punchers. Like, I I, I rarely get hit with big punch shots. I've never been rocked with just getting hit with a punch in a fight. Um, so I feel, I feel like this is a good matchup for me. I fought, uh, Iliade Santos. I fought, uh, Pedro Nobre, who was 19 and 1, uh, hard hitting Brazilian. I fought Felipe Everett, uh, Effin, who was 11 and 0, hard hitting Brazilian. So I feel like I've fought this guy already three times. Uh, stylistically, I, I couldn't pick a better matchup. And like, honestly, this was the first match I've ever, I've ever asked for and, and got right away. So, 14 fights in the UFC, I've never gotten a fight I've wanted. this is the first time.
1: Yeah, I was looking at your resume, and the name that immediately stood out was Iliardi Santos, a guy who, who, like you mentioned, like the wing, big punches, likes to come forward. And uh, you had some good success against him.
2: Yeah, that was my easiest fight and, and my most fun fight, and I feel like I'm going to have another one of those fights uh, on October 12th and uh, give me another bonus check and hopefully uh, get a good turnaround fight because, like, like you said, the division is wide open right now. It's got some, uh, it's got a little attention brought to it, and like I, I have a short run left, and I'm going to give it one more shot. And I feel like now's the turn-
1: I know you're out in Las Vegas. Do you train with, with Joe B, or are you at a different gym?
2: No, I train with him. We train a couple times a week, maybe three times a week.
1: Would you be open to the possibility of facing him, or is that something you're looking to avoid?
2: Uh, no, I, I would. I mean, if I fight Joe, it's, it's going to be for the goal. And if that happens, then like that means our team is doing something right. Uh, we, we fought before. Um, he beat me. He coached me on The Ultimate Fighter. Um, he coached me in an opportunity to, to fight Demetrius Johnson for a world title. So, like, and now we train on the same team. Uh, we both had a mutual coach that died. Um, if me and him were able to fight each other for a world title, I mean, that would be best-case scenario for our team and, and for, for both of us. So, like, yeah, I think we would both be open to it, and I think we would both be honored to have that fight.
1: I feel like people who know well, know Joe well uh, are the toughest opponents uh, for Joe. Oh, sorry, that, that Joe is the toughest opponent for them because Joe is, like, the nicest guy on planet
2: Earth. He is, and, and honestly, he's, he's helped me out quite a bit. Um, you know, taking me under his wing uh, at the Ultimate Fighter. He's the guy who introduced me to Robert Follis, who is the reason why I'm here in Vegas. And, like, the reason why I have the set that I have now and the team that I have now. So um, I feel like Joe had a lot to do with the, my career kind of, you know, because I was fired from the UFC. and I mean, I feel like Joe had a, a little bit of help in resurrecting my career So,
1: It feels like those who uh, were coached by, by Coach Follis had a really deep connection with him. Have you been able to get that kind of connection with another coach since?
2: Uh, you know, I really have. Uh, I had a connection like that before with uh James Krause. Just one of those guys who was so smart with everything that he did and like just blew my mind on a daily basis. I, I had that with James Krause and then I had that with James Solis and then, you know, now I'm working with uh Coach Casey Holstead. He is uh, he owns a uh, Tennis Planet Jiu Jitsu here in Las Vegas. and like he's just more than even like an MMA or Jiu Jitsu coach. Like he's just somebody I can I can talk to and like he, he's not gonna steer me wrong no matter what. He's, you know what he thinks and uh, yeah i've been lucky in that sense but i've always had that i've always had really good coaches and i've been super lucky on that and i've always had good coaches and good training
1: all right well um good luck on this fight i, I do want to mention one last thing i, I had to call your girlfriend gina's phone to get a hold of you you lost your phone what happened
2: uh she was sparring uh, her and jessica and i was sparring at the gym and it died and i set it down somewhere and then that's been like two months ago and i just I never would to got another one. I, I, I kind of enjoy not having a son. I know she hates it because she takes all my calls, but uh, it's been really good for me to, you know, this this camp, this last few weeks. I've just I focused only on fighting and, and myself and my daughter and you know my girlfriend and it's just it's been an awesome few months. So I'm never gonna get a song again.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say two months without a phone. That, but you, you probably shouldn't go back because once you go back, you'll get sucked back into the vortex. Like I, I'm guessing if uh, I if I tag you on Twitter, it probably will not get retweeted or anything along those lines. Uh,
2: no, I got a I got a little iPod. I can I can check my social media.
1: <laughs> One of those old iPod touches. Oh yeah. Man, things still ticking. Well, good good for you for being able to maintain that device for for this long.
2: I can't keep track of my phone, but I got an iPod. <laughs>
1: All right, Tim. Well, best of luck this weekend in Tampa. Uh, hope to see you uh, have some success against uh, Davis and Figueredo. Right, thanks for the time, sir. All right, that was Tim Elliott on the TSN MMA show. So, uh, again, solid card, UFC on ESPN, plus 19, Ioana versus Watterson. Uh, I like this card a lot. Again, I think that there are a lot of really competitive matchups, and you can see that from the different odds that have been put on this particular event. Um, where are you leaning? I'll, you, you can go first, Nick, if you, since you're the guest. You can make a pick.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to go with the strawberry between Mackenzie Dern and Amanda Rebass. Um, I had the opportunity to speak with Rebass before and after her last fight. It was a UFC debut over Emily Whitmire. Second round submission looked really good in that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a plus 115 underdog against Dern, and obviously Dern hyped-up prospect, very good grappler, but she is coming off the layoff, coming off her having her first child last year, I believe, and I I just feel like stylistically this is actually a good matchup for Dern because Rebass is a a grappler, so maybe this is a bad pick because maybe Rebass sort of, you know, uh, like I think Dern is better on the ground, so if Rebass' strength is on the ground, then maybe Dern does beat her, but I just look at Dern and think the layoff— Having her first kid. Obviously, we have seen some fighters come back from a pregnancy and look okay. Alexis Davis still, you know, still is fighting and she's fine. I, I just think with the layoff, though, and Rebass, um, maybe she surprises. Maybe she is as good of a grappler as Dern. Uh, obviously, Dern has the credentials, but Rebass did look really good. Uh, Rear naked choke in her debut, as I said. Um, and on the feet, I think Rebass might be better than her also. At plus money, I like it. That's kind of like a t- coin toss fight for me. So if I can get plus 115 on the fighter who has been more active and who is coming off a really impressive debut, I'll, I'll go with her at plus 115 for Amanda Rebass. I think in terms of pure grappling, you've got to side with Dern. But in terms of MMA, it is a little bit
1: different um, and could go in her way in that regard. Um, I'm going to go with the line that I thought... Uh, that I would have gone with when it was supposed to happen, which I think was back in Edmonton. and That's Andrew Sanchez versus Marvin Vittori. Andrew Sanchez at plus 250 to me, I think, is just a way off of a line. I think that Sanchez's wrestling um, could be a, a real headache for Vittori. And if I can ever get a wrestling-based fighter with the kind of credentials that Andrew Sanchez has against a non-wrestling fighter at this kind of odds, I'm, I'm going to take it. I, I think that from a striking standpoint, he's not going to be as good as Vittori. I get that. I think that Vittori's got a lot of advantages in this fight, but not enough to justify this kind of a line. I think Sanchez at plus 250, and uh, the decision prop for uh, Sanchez is uh, plus 350. So that's worth looking at as well. But that that's where I would go for this particular one. I just think that the uh, the line is, uh, is quite a bit off on this one. But there are a lot of really sneaky good fights on this. James Vick versus Nico Price, Vick's uh, welterweight debut. Uh, Devin Clark against Ryan Spann I think is a really fun fight. Um, at that number, I actually like Ryan Spann quite a bit as well, minus 140. Uh, Figueredo versus Elliott. We just spoke to Tim Elliott. That's a fun one at Flyweight. Uh, two of the better flyweights uh, in the UFC, although there aren't that many of them to compare to uh, at this time. Uh, Andrews versus Mearshart. G- good fight. Mearshart's coming off a really nice win. And um, Cro- Cron Gracie is a sizable favorite against C- Cub Swanson, which I think is uh, weird because I think Swanson, as a veteran in this p- particular position, might be able to overwhelm Crone Gracie. Just look at, looking at the experience, um, we'll have to see. But I, I also can't help but envision Swanson in those, like, deep Ortega jokes. <laughs> but, uh, again, at the same time, we're talking about a less well-rounded fighter than Ortega, and Ortega is, of course, in the upper echelon of that division. So, uh, yeah, that would be my pick is Andrew Sanchez. Is there a particular fight outside of the main event uh, that you're looking forward to on this card?
0: Um, I really like James Vick and Nico Price. I, I think this is actually probably the wrong fight for Vick's welterweight debut. <laughs> yeah, probably. Like just, Given the chin issues? Well, the chin issues, and I, I, I think Vic will look a lot better at 170. I think he should have made this move a long time ago. I think not having to cut those extra 15 pounds will 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 really work wonders for him. But he's going up against a guy that either finishes you or gets finished. Nico Price is a madman. He does not care. He will go in there and try and knock you out, and he's willing to be, you know, to to go unconscious himself. And and so I don't think Vic goes in there. He's not a huge puncher. He's not a huge knockout guy. I think Nico Price might might starch him in this fight. So it's unfortunate because I think Vic is still a really talented fighter. I think. He should be in the UFC, but this would be, I think, three losses in a row, four. And so just not the right debut for him, but stylistically could be exciting.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens because Vic, I think, has always had the frame of a 170. Like I don't think he's a legit lightweight. I think that he's always been way too big for that division, cuts a ton of weight to get down to one hundred and fifty five and when he got to that upper echelon of the division, he just wasn't able to beat them. Nico Price isn't at the upper echelon of the one seventy division. So when you look at the relative competition, I think that the competition that he's faced has been much higher than what Nico Price has faced, and at you know basically full health, not having to cut much weight to get to one seventy I think it could be one of those situations like we're with kiesa at one seventy where he's looked really good at one yeah. you know at, at the division, and I think that Vic's even bigger than kiesa. So that's that's why I would be hesitant to pull the trigger on something like that. I do think that you know we have seen Vic get knocked out in pretty spectacular fashion recently. So when I think of Nico Price going like you know full buzzsaw on
0: somebody, uh, that doesn't look like it'll end well for Vic. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I I wouldn't bet on Nico Price. Like okay. I, this is a competitive fight. I think Vic, yeah, he definitely can outgrapple him if he's able to avoid Price's early power shots. So I, I I think it could go either way. I just think Vic. Should have had a, a bit of an easier fight for his debut. All right, well, Nick, thanks for joining me. We will have a second podcast this week. I don't typically do this,
1: but uh, I found out that on Thursday I'm going to get uh, interviews with um, Mackenzie Dern and and Jacek. So I, I wanted to react to the Israel Adesanya win as soon as possible. And with you being here, I certainly swayed me towards doing a podcast today rather than Thursday. Uh, but we will do a second one on Thursday. It'll be uh, myself and those interviews. And uh, until then, enjoy your week.
0: Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.